Good evening, Dr. Dan Guerra here on Authentic Biochemistry. Today is the uh, 30th of December, 2021. Only two more days to finish off this year. Woo-wee. Um, I've been talking about the affective reward pathway. Started a lecture just recently, and so we're going to continue on that arc for a while. And um, I've found a couple of papers I think might be interesting to discuss, and then some general discussions as well that will follow. Now, major depressive disorder, which was associated, remember, with certain pathologies of a corruption of the reward pathway. So MDD exhibits an altered functional connectivity between the ventral striatal and the prefrontal cortical circuits that typically regulate motivation. And remember that these alterations in functional connectivity are associated with anhedonia. And of course, that's a core symptom of um, MDD. And what it means is that you have decreased motivation, right? So alterations in the corticostriatal reward circuitry, which we talked about extensively last time, and anhedonia within depression are linked, as it turns out, to neuroinflammatory responses. Imaging has actually demonstrated the exogenous administration of inflammatory cytokines or compounds which induce cytokines, such as endotoxin, LPS, or even vaccination, can corrupt the activation of the reward-related CNS nuclei, including reduced responses of the ventral striatum to hedonic reward. In non-human primates, indeed, inflammation impacts the reward circuitry similarly. It does so by cytokine-induced reduction in the striatal dopamine release, which can be reversed by, that's correct, administration of a dopamine precursor like levodopa. So all these cytokine-induced alterations in the activation of reward circuitry and reductions in dopamine in humans and indeed in primates have in turn been associated with a decrease in motivation and anhedonia. So we have a link now with an inflammatory response and the reward pathway. <clears throat> so patients in general that have depression, MDD, exhibit often higher levels of chronic inflammation without infection. And this is typically measured by peripheral inflammatory cytokines in the blood and also uh, one of the acute phase reactants known as C-reactive protein, or CRP. Now, upon whole brain analysis using the techniques of fMRI and blood oxygen level dependent uh, fMRI and blood oxygen level dependent is called BOLD, so BOLD fMRI. Um, that technique is used to determine whether an increased inflammation, which is measured by plasma CRP, in depressed patients is sometimes associated with altered functional connectivity of the subdivisions of the ventral and dorsal striatum, indeed with other subcortical or cortical brain regions, all of which subserve that reward pathway. And indeed, other goal 
oriented behaviors, such as those linked to motor activity. So using bold fMRI has revealed a distinct pattern of functional connectivity for the whole brain. Uh, for each of the striatal subregions and the cortical striatal functional connectivity that we've been talking about. And it's been found that that particular connection is sensitive to pharmacological uh, manipulation of YEP, the dopamine system. So the null hypothesis that was looked at in the paper that I just read was simply asking the question, will an increased inflammation and depression corrupt functional connectivity within reward-relevant corticostriatal neurocircuitry? And will this be an association with a reduced motivational or motor, motor control? Okay, so then the hypothesis would be that well, we won't. We don't expect to see a difference, and if we do, is it going to be positive or negative? An association with inflammation. See how that works, right? So what basically they found was that an increase in inflammation, as reflected by the plasma CRP and inflammatory cytokines, was indeed associated with decreased connectivity with reward-related brain regions doing this kind of bold fMRI analysis. In fact, there was a decreased connectivity between the ventral striatum and the ventromedial prefrontal cortex, uh, or that is VMPFC, and this was all correlated with symptoms of anhedonia, whereas decreased connectivity between the dorsal striatum and the VMPFC the dorsal striatum now with the VMPFC, correlated with psychomotor slowing. So the ventromedial prefrontal cortical regions identified via this whole brain analysis corresponded very closely to a region recently identified as predicting non-response to transcranial magnetic stimulation when it is used in patients with MDD and who erstwhile exhibit increased anhedonia. And the VMPFC region is a link, direct linkage to this. And this is all consistent with that previously described in many other studies. In fact, the whole meta-analysis on neuroimaging and looking at reward stimuli in human subjects suffering with or without MDD. So a targeted analysis of the ventral and dorsal striatal connectivity with that reward-related ventromedial prefrontal cortical region, identified neuroimaging, meta-analysis, etc., correlates with anhedonia and with this psychomotor slowing, respectively, with those two different nuclei. And this was all linked to CRP levels and, and proflamidor cytokines in the serum. So consistent with an decreased activation of the ventral striatum to the hedonic reward, in a non-human primate model, it was demonstrated that chronic administration of proinflammatory cytokines decreased the striatal dopamine release. And this, of course, is measured by translational neuroimaging 
and of course in vivo microdialysis. So it's all measured. This was done in a monkey model of a cytokine induced major depressive disorder. So decreased dopamine release, suppressed reward sensitivity, and increased anhedonia in the primate model. Anhedonia-related reductions in striatal dopamine release were restored by levodopa, and increased inflammation in depression tends to disrupt the connectivity between the ventral and the dorsal striatum via the, the ventral medial prefrontal cortex. And of course, that's a region similar to the ventral striatum, and because, that's because it receives significant mesocortical limbic dopamine innervation. So inflammation-related decreases in the corticostriatal connectivity with the VMPFC seem to play a major role. So it's a very interesting paper because it gives us a linkage. And of course, the, that paper was looking at humans and at and was referring to a primate study, but you get the same basic idea. Now, switch gears a little bit and talk about CNS, the anatomical regional specificity, and the links associated with cognition and mood, and how these are all innervated with the monoamine neurotransmission, including the tryptophan derivative serotonin. Now that's of course 5-hydroxytryptamine or 5-HT and tyrosine metabolites now, norepinephrine and again, dopamine, okay? All monoamine stuff. So there's a crosstalk with these neurotransmitters and the crosstalk can be antagonistic and agonistic. So ligand activation of the serotonin 2A and 2C receptors actually inhibits postsynaptic norepinephrine and dopamine neurotransmission. The D2-like receptors actually promote 5-HT neurotransmission, D2 or the dopaminergic. So presynaptic alpha-2 Adreno receptors antagonize serotonin signaling. And postsynaptic serotonin receptors, those include 1A, 3, and 7, they all modulate GABA interneurons, which subsequently alter serotonin, acetylcholine, norepinephrine, dopamine, and even glutamate neurotransmission. So again, you're starting to see this neural connectivity at the level of the neurotransmitters. That's what I wanted to give you a, uh, um, an inroad to. This is all the vestibule of a further discussion. Now, a paper published in Frontiers in Neuroscience just a couple of years ago was a discussion of white matter, which of course are the myelinated tracts. That means that these, these are axon fibers covered with sphingomyelin. So a relationship between myelinated tracts, integrity, and plasma leptin levels in a drug-naive and in medicated patients 
with MVD. Okay. Now, white matter tracts or myelinated tracts are implicated in the course of major depressive disorder. We know that because various anatomical and functional abnormalities of white fibers seems to correlate with severity of depression. Now, the MRI technique diffusion tensor imaging, this is a unique specific MRI technique known as DTI, diffusion tensor imaging, actually uniquely characterizes and measures water movement in white matter fibers. And you measure then a fractional anisotropy or an FA. So we have an FA, diffusion tensor imaging, diffusivity measurement. And it's employed to track the directionality of simple water diffusion, and thus reports on the locus and strength of white matter tract fibers. In many of these DTI studies, this fractional anisotropy value was found to be lower for patients with MDD as compared to the healthy controls in distinct white matter tracts, such as those in the thalamus, frontal lobe, the, the uncanate fasciculus, and the corpus callosum, as well as the cerebellum, the parietal lobe, and the superior longitudinal lobe. So it looks like there's a link here, okay, between obesity and this major depressive disorder because leptin is now brought into the play. Leptin is produced, of course, in adipose via fat mass ordered transcriptional regulation, and it's very tightly controlled. And the idea is that perhaps leptin could have an association in the brain pathway of reward as it is linked to major depressive disorder. Remember, leptin is going to be working through the NPY, neuropeptide Y, the agouti-related protein, those neurons, as opposed to the POMC neurons, the pro-opiomelanocortin neurons that we've talked about in great deal in previous lectures. So adipocytes will produce complement They'll produce cytokines and they'll produce chemokines. Some of those cytokines and chemokines, of course, are going to be pro-inflammatory. Adipocytes and adipose will also produce the adipokines, and these include adiponectin, leptin, visfatin, and resistin. And all of this will feature control over insulin sensitivity, leptin sensitivity, and then some diseases, number one, of course, obesity, but also some autoimmune diseases such as uh, arthritis and cardiovascular disease, which sometimes has an inflammatory signal, in fact, often does. Okay, So you can ask about the various states of insulin resistance versus sensitivity as it relates to the levels of leptin and adiponectin and all of the other adipokines, cytokines, chemokines, and complement factors. 
And there is indeed a link there. So it puts us back into the same discussion we've been having. Leptin in particular controls thyroid hormone secretion. It controls blood pressure. It's involved because there are leptin receptors in T lymphocytes, for example. So it's involved in the activation of the acquired immune response. Also, the innate immune response, the level of macrophages and dritic cells. Leptin also, of course, directly on the reward pathway regulates appetite and it controls metabolism and energy homeostasis in the central nervous system. Leptin controls the menstrual cycle, so it has a reproductive component. It regulates bone mass. It also controls heart rate. And it also tends to decrease glucose-stimulated insulin secretion. So these are all really important aspects of leptin. Normal leptin, you have normal appetite. You get increased metabolism and you get weight uh, homeostasis. Low leptin, of course, the leptin signaling going to the central nervous system through those axes I just told you, the NPY versus the PMC. Um, When you have reduced fat mass, you have reduced leptin signaling. That's the body in a starvation sort of bioenergetic mode that's going to induce increased appetite and decreased metabolism. And the increased appetite is going to be direct association with NPY and equity-related protein secretion, stimulating those neurons in the CNS in the arcuate nucleus of the hypothalamus, also directly involved in what? The appetitive reward pathway. But then you get leptin resistance. That means leptin is generated. In fact, you have an excessive amount of fat mass and obese people, but you get less and less sensitivity of the leptin receptor in the CNS. In fact, the brain only receives a small amount of the signal, right? Here you can get still increased appetite as if it was low leptin because you're getting leptin resistance. You're getting decreased metabolism at the same time and you're getting weight gain, okay? And what this will do is give you an increase in some disorders related to cardiovascular disease, such as metabolic syndrome and diabetes. Okay. This is well established. Now I'm going to remind you that all of this falls into an understanding of thermodynamics. So we are never far from chemistry and physics. When we talk about biochemistry and biophysics and cell physiology and pathophysiology. So the first law says that energy within a system has to be conserved and then any change has to result from either a change in the energy input to or output from that closed system. So among mammals in which energy is stored primarily in the form of triacylglycerol, giving you nine kilocalories per mole, in adipose tissue, any change in weight that would be uh, involved in the measurement of fat mass, right, has to necessarily be the result of changing energy input, food intake, that is, or energy expenditure, that's exercise. So for weight to remain stable in a living organism, energy input must be precisely or closely balanced against energy output. 
And that has to occur over long temporal signatures. So when food is readily available, adult humans maintain a very stable weight and they consume about a million kilocalories per year. It's been measured. Collectively, what this says is that exist, there is, it must be in existence of some biochemical mechanism which indexes food intake to energy expenditure, thus maintaining the stability of weight in adipose tissue mass. Now, this, is, of course, is part of the appetitive reward pathway. But we know also what it has to do with leptin, the adipokine pathway, more precisely, as linked directly from adipose to the hypothalamus. So you have to maintain a stability of energy, and the consequences of that are, incre- are a control over the risk of starvation versus obesity. And this is because of there being, in terms of evolution of this mechanism, periods, long extended periods of food insecurity, or indeed what we would call famine after the invention of agriculture. And this could be linked, this is why it's left as linked probably to the reproductive cycle, at least in terms of menstruation. This could also be why it's linked to decreasing fertility. And then that also brings in the inflammatory response or the immune function. So in contrast to all that, a higher adipose tissue mass will increase the risk of predation. Also, of course, linked to the appetitive reward pathway, you understand co-adapted, no doubt. So it's been postulated that the nutritional state, probably from a fat-derived signal, we know that to be those adipokines, is sensed to maintain the homeostasis of adipose tissue in particular. So that's why it's the adipokines. And the identification of those molecular components took a long time to pull out, but finally we were able to determine um, the leptin, uh, being one of the major players, and also adiponectin, uh, other of the adipokines, right? All of which control at a major level this um, appetitive reward pathway, okay? So leptin binding to its receptor actually is involved in a series of major physiological functions, Leptin controls in the central nervous system, hormone regulation, the NPY axis, PMC axis I just mentioned, which then controls food intake and energy expenditure. Leptin, again, at the bone and cartilage level, controls bone mass, the production of chondrocytes, rheumatoid arthritis, and osteoarthritis, which I already mentioned. Those are neuroimmune diseases. The vascular function and the disease associated with that, atherosclerosis, oxidative stress, reproduction. I already talked about the menstrual cycle, but also placental organization, trophoblast invasion, fetal viability, and indeed the gonadotrophins and the gonadal hormones. Other targets of leptin include kidney, bowel, pancreas, and muscle, and then the entire immune system. You have cytokine induction, you have chemotaxis, uh, you have in the CD8 positive T cells, you have natural killer cytotoxicity can be controlled by leptin because they're receptors. Macrophage activation I mentioned, dendritic cell activation I mentioned, 
And I also mentioned Th1, Th2 stimulation, and indeed the entire naive T cell proliferation coming through the TCR. Uh, and then the, the, the negative selection that the GCR carries out. That's also under some level of leptin mediation. Okay. Now, let's ask then, let's go all the way back to one of the neuropsychiatric diseases. Yes, we will. And we can ask the question, is leptin linked to major depressive disorder? <clears throat> Excuse me. Is a paper, again, published in Frontiers in Neuroscience. <coughs> White matter tracts are linked to major depressive disorder. We've already talked about this. Scanning interrogation of white matter includes this DTI that we talked about. And if leptin dysregulation is specifically associated with MDD, then depressive symptoms need to be associated either with elevated plasma leptin levels, right, or diminished leptin levels, so either uh, lack of sensitivity or not enough leptin. And we should be able to see this comparing MDD patients with non-MDD patients, right? And blood leptin is, of course, transported, we know this, directly into the cerebrospinal fluid and thence into the hypothalamus across the BBB, the blood-brain barrier, and there are various receptors for it, right? Including the OBR that we talked about. And so there is a potential for variable valence in the modulation of leptin-mediated control over the appetitive reward pathway and then linking to MDD. And remember that the hypothalamic leptin reception is positioned itself as a chemical, biochemical, and bio physiological rheostat for visceral depot fat mediated behavior control. That is the appetitive aspect of it. And it's because it has control over this orexigenic anorexigenic axis. The orexigenic is MPY, AGRP, and the anorexigenic is the POMC, particularly the alpha MSH, right? the melanocortin-stimulating hormone. As, and it won't be confused by the melanocortin-controlling uh, um, hormone, the one that causes a condensation, right, that we talked about before. So there are two different melanocortin systems to think about, and then there's this entire POMC locus and the whole neuropeptide locus of the MHC we talked about last time, right? And then the opposing NPY and AGRP. Okay. So this all then involves ultimately homeostatic bioenergetics. So besides the hypothalamus, the leptin responsive hippocampus, yes, typically associates with an epistemic functioning. And this includes learning and memory, you'll recall. And even the prefrontal cortex and the thalamus, the striatum and the midbrain and other CNS nuclei, all of them respond to leptin. Okay, so that's what I'm calling it an epistemological function, function based on knowledge uptake. Now, obese patients are typically hyperleptinemic and leptin resistant. 
Obesity can be found also associated with reduced white matter tracts. Remember the last study, particularly in the genu and the splenium and in the fornix. Okay. And all those white matter alterations have been mapped to cognitive, defi cognitive deficits. Indeed. So despite growing evidence for white matter and leptin levels abnormalities in the major depressive disorder patients, there's very little still being done in this uh, research area. And it could be that hyperleptinemia is linked directly to altered white matter integrity in major depressive disorder, because we do find that. So what needs to be done is more of this FA, DTI, and voxel-based analyses using MRI. And indeed, this kind of work has gone going. Um, I think I'm going to stop there because I think we're almost out of time. Yeah. So hopefully you got another angle here. You've got the whole feeding in appetitive mode now superimposed onto the classical reward pathway of hedonia and hedonia, right? There's another element that I haven't even brought in yet, and this has to do with when that is restricted, that is when a reward is expected and then held back, the whole other circuit that we could talk about in the limbic system is going to be the anger or rage circuit, which your professor here has published on. And we'll talk a little bit about that next time. This is Dr. Dan Guerra on the 30th of December, 2021, wishing you a wonderful New Year's Eve Eve and saying bye for now.